Well, good morning. It's time to begin our services this morning. A couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, the mowing season has started. It's finally here. The grass is growing, and it needs to be cut every week. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet out on the foyer board if you can help out with cutting grass. Uh, be greatly appreciated. If you have any questions, um, please see James Ward. The mower's provided, and so is the weed eater. So uh, if you can help out with that, that would be great. Also, elders announced last week that we will begin uh, Sunday night church on May 2nd. So please put that in your calendars. And we will resume services at 6 o'clock that evening. And also, Children's Bible Hour will begin next Sunday morning uh, during, right after our communion. And this is for ages three years old through fourth grade. Uh, so that will start back. And also, Wednesday night, Bible study will resume on May 5th at 7 o'clock. We'll, we're also needing teachers for Bible classes. So if you can help out with that, there's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. I don't think we have anybody signed up yet to teach Bible classes. So if you can do that, that would be greatly appreciated. Great news. Uh, congratulations to Clinton and Carol. They, uh, they've become great-grandparents for the fifth time. Uh, so that's great news to hear. The baby's name's Holden Lawrence Wesley Brand. So Holden Lawrence Wesley Brand. So congratulations, Clinton and Carol. Um, also, remember to continue to keep the Cooper family in your prayers. There was a joint memorial service yesterday for Dean and Mary Alice Cooper. Um, their address is in the bulletin. If you'd like to send a card of encouragement, I know the family would definitely appreciate that. Um, also, remember to continue to keep Carol Galloway in your prayers. She was admitted to St. Mary's on Thursday night with, low with a uh, low blood, blow blood count. If I can get it out. And, um, and has been receiving uh, blood. So remember to continue to keep uh, Carol Galloway in your prayers. It's good to see James Lester uh, back with us at service this morning. Uh, he was hospitalized last week with an infection. So it's good to see him back with us. Continue to keep in our prayers Jim Haney in your prayers as he struggles with heart issues. Remember to continue to keep Christian Ward, Rusty Leap, and others undergoing treatments at this time in your prayers. And also don't forget to pick up a bulletin on your way out because we have so many others that are on our prayer list. And activities are starting back slowly and uh, don't want us to miss out on those activities. I'd like to read a scripture this morning. Uh, Psalms 32. Psalms 32, verse 8. And it reads, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you. With my eye upon you. Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful and blessed to be able to be here this morning to worship you, to sing praises to you. Lord, may we glorify you in everything we do. May we take what we learned from Chris this morning and apply it to our, our, our lives and we'll be able to teach others and bring others to you and want to build a relationship with you, Lord. Lord, continue to be with us now during this service time. May it be well-pleasing to you, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen.
This old please stand. We'll sing hymn number 501. 501. Oh, worship the king. <clears throat> Oh, worship the King, oh, glorious above, and gratefully sing His wonderful love, our shield and defender. Next hymn this morning, number 499, 499, Oh, to be like thee. We'll sing the first three verses, and after that, Brother Rick Keister will have our scripture reading and prayer. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my father, longing in prayer, thy heart. Yeah. 
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this opportunity to come before you now, assembling ourselves as a, a body of your people, that we may come with the right attitudes and the right spirit, that we will approach your throne in prayer and in all that we do today, giving you all the deserved glory that we can muster. Father, you are our creator. You are our sustainer. You gave us life, and you have granted us an opportunity at eternal life with you and your son and the host in heaven. We pray, Father, that as we live our lives in, on this world, that we will do everything we can to be as much like the Son as we can be, as we have just sung. We pray, Father, that as we interact with others around us and as we conduct uh, uh, business and, and go to work and school and everything, that we will exhibit the traits that he exhibited while on this earth and that we are to emulate. We pray, Father, that when we fail to do this, when we fall short of what we expect of ourselves and what you expect of us, that we will be aware of that and that we will uh, repent and that we will ask for your forgiveness. We know that you will forgive us if we ask in repentance. We pray, Father, at this time that if there are sins that we have charged against us, that we will have that repentant attitude and that you will forgive us. We pray, Father, that as we uh, conduct our worship here this morning, that we will do everything in, in spirit and in truth. As we partake of the Lord's Supper uh, in a few moments, Father, we pray that each of us will set aside the thoughts of this world and will focus solely on his sacrifice, his love for us, and what that sacrifice means for us. And what both you and he underwent when he went to the cross for our sins. We ask that you be with this congregation, Father, that we continue to abide in your word, that uh, what we do here uh, will be an example to those in the community, that as we as individuals go out and as we do things as a congregation, that we will draw others to us so that we can do our responsibility as far as, as preaching the gospel and converting the world around us. We pray, Father, that you be with us as we continue. Be with those who are not able to be with us for whatever reason it might be. Be with those who are suffering. Be with those who are ill. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. The scripture reading uh, today is Mark 8, verse 34. And he summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Next hymn this morning, number 511, Oft We Come Together. <clears throat>
Many years ago, I became friends with a lady named Pauline Browning. Many of you did too. She, Brownings were very well known here at Rome. Um, during one of our conversations, she asked me to learn and to lead a song entitled, There is a Sea. It's number 654 in our book. Uh, I did that for her. I haven't led that song for many, many years now. I don't think I've even led it in this building. It was probably in the old building. But it's a song about two landlocked seas. One is alive, one is dead. The sea full of life is the Kinneret, or the Genesaret. You probably know it as the Sea of Galilee. The Dead Sea, of course, is the Dead Sea. Now, the Kinneret is constantly emptying as it flows into the Jordan River and down the valley. Eventually, it flows into the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea doesn't empty its water at all. Instead, it is actually losing water. It evaporates more water than comes into it each year. I don't really like to read poetry up here, but here are the lyrics to that song. Verse 1. There's a sea which day by day receives the rippling rills and streams that spring from wells of God or fall from cedared hills. But what it thus receives, it gives with a glad, unsparing hand a stream more wide with a deeper tide flows on to lower land. The sea that is alive is the one that gives. And we can see this parallel with people. The more of ourself, of our life, of our love that we pour out, the more alive and filled up and refreshed we will become. Verse 2. There's a sea which day by day receives a fuller tide, but all its store it keeps nor gives to shore nor sea beside. Its Jordan stream, now turned to brine, lies heavy as molten lead. Its dreadful name doth e'er proclaim that sea is waste and dead. Can it be any different for those of us who live lives of giving and of loving? We'll continue to be filled by the Lord's infinite abundance, no matter how much we pour ourselves out. But if we hold back, Keeping all we have to ourselves, we will begin to evaporate and to die. Give and we will live. Love and we will be filled with God's love. We'll hold back and even that which we have will vanish away. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus exemplified giving to the greatest extent ever. By giving all that he has, all that he was, all that he had, even to those who hated him. Verse 3 of our song. What shall it be for you and me, who God's good gifts obtain? Shall we accept for self alone or take to give again? And here's the kicker. 
For he who once was rich indeed laid all his glory down, that by his grace, our ransomed race, should share his wealth and crown. In Jesus, we can see the attributes of giving and loving. He proved his love to us by giving his very life on the cross. And the reason we surround the Lord's table each Lord's day is to remember that great gift and his eternal love. Will you pray with me, please? Father, we pause now. We are extremely thankful, truly thankful, Father, for the gift of your son, for his eternal love, Father, for the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. We're thankful, Father, that we have an opportunity each week to remember his sacrifice, to remember his body that was broken for us. And as we take this bread, Father, help us to concentrate and reflect upon that broken body. Bless each of us, Father, as we take and keep our minds focused and true. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pray with me again, please. As we recognize his broken body, we also recognize his blood. Blood that's spilled for each of us, blood that continues to flow through us, a blood that cleanses us of our sin. And without that blood, Father, we wouldn't have hope. We wouldn't have hope in heaven. We wouldn't have uh, any hope whatsoever. Uh, be with us now as we take this, Father. This cup represents his blood. and Help us to concentrate and to focus on that. We pray through Christ. Amen. Continuing in 1 John 3, 17 and 18. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of Christ and the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We have material possessions, and we have a duty to use them to help those around us. The church here is involved in that on a daily basis. The money we give not only benefits us and, and minister salaries and comfortable facility, a convenient location, but it, it benefits those in need, those in our community and those even around the world. Let's recognize how much we've been blessed with. Give happily, give cheerfully so that those good works can continue and that we as a church can be a blessing to those in need. Would you pray with me again, please? Father, you have truly blessed us. We have so much, Father, as we've just recognized through your Son, you know, so many spiritual blessings, Father, but we also are, are blessed with many material blessings. Uh, many things, Father, that make our lives uh, comfortable and happy. Uh, things, Father, that we can do without. Help us to recognize that all we have is a gift from you. Help us to use all we have in service to you. Bless our offering, Father. Bless those who see to its use. 
and help us, Father, to continue to be a blessing to those around us with all that we have. And I pray these things through Christ. Amen. Due to COVID, we no longer pass the plate, but there are buckets in the back. Uh, please drop your contributions in there as you leave this morning. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 350. 350. Jesus, hold my hand.
Him this morning, number 337. 337. Is thy heart right with God? Brother Chris. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. You ever played hide and go seek or, um, or uh, Simon Says or Follow the Leader? These are some games that you know who is in charge, right? You know who's leading. If there was somebody that uh, was playing Simon Says, for example, and they weren't Simon. Everyone would be confused, right? You wouldn't know who to follow. If you were trying to bake a cake or do some sort of recipe and you just decided to make it up on your own, would that turn out the way you wanted it to? No, it wouldn't, would it? Today we're back in Mark chapter 10. We're starting in verse 1. So be turning there, but that's the thought I want to leave. I want, I want you to, to stick with you this morning. If you want to follow, you got to follow. You can't lead. Uh, we've been talking about this theme for a couple weeks now. Uh, Rick read for us from Mark 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 34, this morning, where Jesus says, If you want to follow me, <coughs> you got to pick up your cross and follow. He's talking a lot about following, even in that one verse, isn't, it? isn't he? But in that one verse, he starts talking about this theme of following. Following's difficult, isn't it? You kind of got to put all your eggs in one basket. You got to trust this single person. In our culture, we like to think about diversifying our interests. You wouldn't put all your money in one stock. Uh, you have a plan B. There's a safety net. All those things are things that we are familiar with, right? But in Jesus, we put all of our eggs in one basket. If he's not true, nothing else matters. If what he said about himself and about salvation, about how we worship, about all those things, if the Bible is not true, nothing else matters. We're sunk. We've put all our eggs in one basket. That's the way it's got to be. That's what he demands. He demands... Soul allegiance. He's the only one, right? He's the only one that we should be loyal to. And that's what he demands. And here in Mark chapter 10, you begin to see, I hope you've began to see, that the Pharisees and the Jews in Jesus' day have a divided loyalty. Some of them like Jesus, and they want to hear more from him. And you're going to hear about one of those people today that want to hear a little bit more about Jesus. They're not pushing him away like the regular Pharisees. This guy isn't, at least. But he doesn't really know what to do. He's not ready to put all of his eggs in one basket just yet. And it's going to cost him. So the normal Jew in Jesus' day has a divided loyalty. He wants to follow Jesus maybe a little bit, maybe on some days. But then 
Other days, he wants to take control. He wants to be in charge of his own life, and he wants to do the things he wants to do. Does that sound a little familiar to, to you? It sounds a little familiar to me. I want to do what I want to do. The Jews are doing the exact same thing. And so this topic, while it comes from us, to us from uh, an event that happened 2,000 years ago, is as relevant today as it was the day Jesus spoke it. So let's get into Mark chapter 10. Let's start in this first little section. The Pharisees come to Jesus. And they've got a question for him. If you look, in fact, in your text in Mark chapter 10, verse 1, listen to what he says in 1 and 2. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. That's what crowds do to Jesus in Mark, right? They flock to him because they're open. They're ready to hear. They're yearning to hear, longing to hear what he has to say. So everything's normal right now. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. He's not going to miss an opportunity to teach. They're coming to him. They have open ears and they've got open hearts. That's not always true, is it? That's not always true of people, is it? Sometimes we shut down. Sometimes I just want what I want and I'm going to do it my way and there's nothing you can say to make me feel otherwise. Sound familiar? That's not where the people are in in Jesus' day just now. That's where they've been, and it may be where they will be in the future. But right now, the crowds are coming to him, and their hearts are open. They just want to know what he has to say. They're ready for him to teach them. And so, as his custom is, he teaches them. Verse 2, though, the Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked them, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? So, every time you see the Pharisees coming up to Jesus in Mark, it's with this intent. They're looking to test him. They want to fight. They want an argument. They don't want to learn. Their hearts are not open. They come with a baseball bat. They're trying to attack. And Jesus, uh, in, in this first little section here, is going to teach them truth, but they're not going to hear it because their hearts aren't open. Truth, personified, is standing in front of them, and they can't see it. Because they refuse to see it. Isn't that terrifying? It's crazy to think, for me, that a reasonable, intelligent person could have truth spoken to them by God Himself and not take it in and internalize it and change their ways. But that's exactly what these people are doing. And insider tip here, that's what we do sometimes too, isn't it? We struggle with the exact same thing. And so the Pharisees come and they've got a question for them. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They're trying to put him in a bind here. Uh, This is not the first time the Pharisees do this. This won't be the last time the Pharisees do this. But they're trying to put him in a political and maybe even, certainly even, a religious bind. Herod Antipas, we've talked about him in the past in this series. He's a big player. Uh, In fact, he is ruler over this region of Judea. He is in this exact situation. He has divorced his wife. He's taken another wife. So if Jesus says, you can't do that, they're going to run to Herod Antipas, right? And they're going to say, Jesus is saying exactly what John the Baptist said. And you killed John the Baptist for saying that, didn't you? Go get Jesus. 
You see, you see the trap they're trying to lay for him here? Also, if he says, well, you can divorce your wife for any, for any reason, he's playing against the Old Testament. Uh, there's two uh, rabbis in Jesus' day uh, that have become famous for their stances here. There's one named Hillel and there's one named Shema. Uh, one of them believes that you can divorce your wife for any reason. If she burns the toast, is like in the morning breakfast. How many ladies burn toast this morning? If you burn the toast in the morning breakfast, this is literally what he says, you can divorce your wife. You don't need a reason. Uh, if he sees a woman that's more pretty than you, you have displeased him, and so he can divorce you. It's a very loose interpretation of the law, right? And so... They, they, it's funny that they, these two rabbis looked at the exact same scripture in Leviticus and they, they read it completely differently, right? Our hearts see what they want to see. So dangerous, right? If our hearts are closed off like this, we see what we want to see even if God himself is standing in front of us telling us different. How important it is to have this open heart that's ready to accept even hard truths. And so they're trying to put them in this bind. If uh, the, the, the prevailing thought among Jesus' day is this second, uh, second interpretation of, this, of the law, you can divorce your wife for whatever reason. But the more conservative reading, the one that's kind of gone out of vogue in Jesus' day is uh, it has to be for sexual immorality. That's the only reason you can divorce your wife. And so they're trying to pit him against one stream or the other. Whichever way he says, they're going to go to the opposing party and they're going to try to jab and get them uh, agitated about Jesus. So he, it's a lose-lose, whatever he does here, they think. It's a lose-lose. He can't win, but he's Jesus and he's, he's going to outsmart them here, obviously. So in verse 3, he asked them, well, what did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus comes back to the heart of the matter, pun intended. Uh, he says, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female. And so he's saying, you can divorce your wife, but it's only for the, the purposes of sexual immorality. What I want you to see here is this, this phrase, of, this verse I've got on the, on the board to, uh, this morning behind me. This is, I think, why Mark has included this, this uh, event for us right here. Remember, Mark is a clever writer. Obviously, this gospel is inspired. Obviously, God has written this gospel. Uh, so maybe clever is not the right term to use here. But every word is inspired. Every word is important. And in this gospel and in all of them, this series of events, the way that he lines up the events are important. And so Mark is not just telling a story, remember? He's making a theological point. He's, he's trying to preach to you. Mark's not so much a historian, although he's recording history, reporting history. He's also trying to teach you a theological principle. And so the theological, <clears throat> the theological principle here is what God has put together, you don't get to separate. You see how that fits in with if you want to follow, you got to follow. These guys wanted to follow, at least some of them did. The Pharisees don't care so much about following Jesus, but the average Jew in his day wants to follow, 
but they also want what they want. Like, they want to be able to dissolve marriage whenever they want to. And Jesus says, listen, God put you together. You can't separate you. That's not how it works. If you want to follow, you got to follow in every way. Not just in the ways you like. So, that's the very first little tidbit here uh, where he starts talking, starts focusing on uh, this idea of if you want to follow, you got to follow. You can't lead. Remember, this is God's kingdom. We saw that back in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. The Jews had absconded with Jesus' kingdom, and they were demanding their own way. They had made up all these rules um, that, that had taken people away from God's kingdom. And in fact, they had instituted their very own kingdom. And Jesus says, that kingdom's gone now. I'm back. I'm here and I'm bringing back the kingdom. And you're either going to follow me, or you're going to act like I don't exist. There's no in-between. And that's what the Jews of Jesus' day want. They want a third alternative. They want an in-between. It doesn't exist. It didn't exist for them. It doesn't exist for us. You can't halfway follow. You either follow or his death meant nothing. There's no in-between. So, this next little episode here, in verse 13, Mark 10, verse 13, the disciples in Mark are almost always pushing people away from Jesus. Isn't that ironic? Disciples, the church, we bring people to Jesus. Right? We take Jesus to people. We don't set up roadblocks we don't make it harder for them to come to Jesus. We saw last week where the, the, there was a man that was casting out demons out of people. And what did the disciples do? Well, you're not part of us. And they pushed him away, right? You can't be here. You're not part of us. And they pushed him away. Today they're going to keep little children away from Jesus. At least they're going to try. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So the crowd, this massive crowd that wanted to follow Jesus, that had hearts that were open, ready to listen to Jesus, they're bringing kids, like babies and toddlers and, and young children, to Jesus. It's just so he can touch them, so he can bless them, so they can meet him, right? Uh, what an opportunity that would be. And the disciples sat over there and say, no, no, it's form a line or go on. He's busy. He's trying to heal people. He's trying to teach y'all. Just go away. They're keeping people away from Jesus. So if we wanted to phrase that in a different way, they're leading and they need to follow, right? They think they know what's right. They think that him teaching, that him healing, that him doing whatever it is they want him to do is much more important than the children coming to him. But Jesus sees it differently. He wanted the kids to come to him. These guys were rebuking the children for coming. They were trying to lead. They wanted to be in charge. And Jesus says, you've got to let that go. You've got to stop trying to be in charge. You're not in charge. And in fact, if you go back through and you read the rest of the passage that, that Rick read for us this morning, if you want to be in charge of your life, it's not going to work the way you want it to go. He goes, guess what? You're going to die. That's going to happen. You can't stop it. You can't eat well enough. You can't exercise well enough. You can't even sleep well enough 
to, st- to stall that off. You're going to die. You better be prepared for that day. The only way you can prepare for that day is to follow. Stop trying to be in charge. Stop insisting on your own way and submit. That's the word in Mark. Submit to Jesus. Whatever he says, unreservedly and without question, all of your eggs in one basket. It's a scary thing, isn't it? That's exactly what he's demanding from us here. And each one of these little episodes uh, is just drilling that into our heads. You want to follow? Great. You got to follow. You can't be in charge. This isn't your kingdom. You don't get to make the rules here. You don't get to make the decisions here. It's his kingdom. We follow him. He makes the rules. We just follow them. This next little section, the rich young ruler, uh, starts in verse 17. Young man comes to Jesus. Apparently he's wealthy. He's righteous. He's a good man. Mark points out for us that this guy has no ulterior motive. He's not like the Pharisees. His heart is open right now. He's about to hear something he doesn't like, and his heart's going to shut down. But right now, when he comes to Jesus, his heart's open. And he has a question, a legitimately good question, a legitimately righteous question. Good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of has a little fun with the guy here. He says, good teacher, who's good? God's good. Are you calling me God? I think you might be. You know, you kind of see Jesus' sly look in his face. Are you picking up? Have you, have you figured out? Are you putting together all the things, all the events, all the miracles, all the teaching? Have you put two and two together yet and you figured out that I'm God? It's kind of what Jesus is saying here. He says, well, good teacher, no one's good but God. Jesus kind of says, yeah, you said it right. You're right on the money. Now, are you ready to submit? So many of us get to that point, don't we? We say, yes, you're, you're God. I'm convinced. I'm convinced you're God. Submit. Mm, I want to submit. I'm going to back off that a little bit. But I believe you're God. And Jesus is not good enough. Not good enough. You have to make a decision. Put all your, be- put all your eggs in one basket. If he's God, you've got to submit wholeheartedly, unreservedly, and without question. It's not your kingdom. You don't get to make the rules. You don't get to make the decisions. He does. Our job is simply to follow. That's what this guy didn't understand. Let's, let's walk through the story. Um, so Jesus comes back at the rich young man. He says, well, you follow the commandments. What do you, have you followed those things? And it's interesting that Jesus points out here the commandments. That he, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, right? But he only points to the ones that are the horizontal commandments. Out of, the, out of the Ten Commandments, several of them are our relationship to each other. And then the first several are our relationship with God. Jesus points out the relationship between man and man. And the rich man says, well, I've done all those things. But you know what he's missing? The vertical relationship. I wonder if he caught it when Jesus points out the horizontal relationships. The guy had to be like, yeah, I've done all those things, but aren't there, aren't there like several more commandments? Like, don't have any other gods before me? Yeah, there's like four or five of those, aren't there? Those things should have been going through the rich young man's mind. 
I don't know if they did or not. We're not told. But I know the end of this story. Mark records it for us here. The guy says, well, I've done all those things. And Jesus says, that's great. You're just missing one thing. You're missing the vertical component. Go sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. And then you come follow me. You remember what the guy does? He says, well, this is my kingdom. This is my stuff. I'm going to keep it. He goes away sad. The Bible says because he had a lot of stuff. Remember, we have a decision to make. He chose his stuff over God. Now that, we roll our eyes at that. And we think, well, how silly a person is that? We do the exact same thing every day. No way. You can't serve two masters. And that's really what it comes down to here with the rich young man. He wanted an in-between road. He wanted the middle ground. He wanted both options. He wanted to love Jesus, to follow God, to live righteously, to have eternal life. Remember, he wanted a good thing. He wanted eternal life, but he also wanted his stuff. And when it came down to it, he chose his stuff over God, over eternal life. And we judge him very harshly, but I'm afraid we do something similar on a daily basis, don't we? It's very easy to choose our stuff over God because this, I can touch this. I can use this to buy me stuff and to do stuff and go places. And this is solid and I can see it and I can touch it and I can see how it impacts me. I don't always have that physical reminder of how precious my relationship with God is. And so I choose this over him. Just like the rich young ruler did. He went away sad because he had a lot of stuff. He chose to lead instead of following. You see it? This is, this is what Mark is just throwing story after story after episode after episode at us. Trying to get us to see. He's shouting at us. Are you listening? You want to follow? Great. You got to follow. You can't lead. This is God's kingdom. He gets to set the rules with your marriage, with your money. Yeah. In every tiny, minute detail of our lives, He gets to set the rules. He is in charge. We have to follow if we want to follow. We can't lead. And there's no middle ground. If you keep reading through the rest of that passage... You'll see Peter. Peter's excited. I mean, you've got to love Peter in this passage. Peter's pumped. Jesus, we've done that. We've, we've sold all of our stuff. We came. We followed you. We've done it. This is exciting. Peter's pumped. Let's read Jesus's, what he says back to Pete, Peter after that episode. Look in verse... Oh, man. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, We have left everything and followed you. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says, You're right, Peter. You did leave everything. 
Good on you, Peter. You're going to get all that back. Plus some. You're going to get all that back. Plus eternal life. You know what's really important? Submit. Follow. He's in charge. And everything else will fall into place. Nothing else matters. Jesus, you left houses and land and family for my sake and for the gospel's sake. You inherited houses because of the church. You can go anywhere in this world. You need a house to stay in, you find the church. You'll find a house to stay in. You need a family. Well, that's what we are. He made a worldwide family out of the church. He's at the head leading everyone. But we are a family. So you gave up your, your relationship with your parents or with your siblings or whoever to come to Christ. He said, you've got a whole new family, a bigger one, and a better one that's focused on Him following, not us leading. So you've gained all that stuff back that you, that you sacrificed. You've gained it all back. Plus, you've got eternal life. Now, don't miss that you gained all that back in the church. If you're outside the church, you didn't gain any of that stuff back. Because the church is where it's at. That's where the blessings come from. And so you gained all the stuff in the church. But then, if you've done that, if you've made those sacrifices, if you've gained all that stuff in the church, but then you also gained eternal life. Because you followed. You didn't lead. Look down in verse 32. I know we're covering a lot of territory this morning. I'd love to go through this a lot slower, but uh, I want you to see the outline Mark's trying to get for us here. Verse 32. Jesus is going to foretell his death a third time. Now in Mark, you may want to write this down. You have to go back and find it later. But in 8.31, Mark 8.31... Mark 9.31 and Mark 10.33 and 34. Jesus records his death. He prophesies his death. He predicts his death. Those are the three big times he's going to do it in Mark. He's going to do it several other times throughout the gospel. Uh, starting in uh, Mark 8.31. But he's going to do it uh, just these three big times. Um, and they're all really easy to remember like that. Uh, so pay attention to that. But listen to what he says here in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Now, remember, every word is important, right? Why in the world does Mark record for us the position of Jesus in the group? You ever thought about that? Mark has a lot on his mind, right? God wants to convey a whole lot to us through this incredible gospel. Why in the world is he taking time out of his... Schedule, wasting words, so to speak, to tell us where Jesus is at in the group. Jesus is in front of them. He's being a little clever, isn't he? Jesus is out in front leading them. They're following. If you want to follow, you've got to follow. You can't lead. You're not in charge. He is. He's out in front following. He's out in front leading them. They've got to follow if they want to follow. Anything else is detrimental to their faith and their life, eternal life. And so he puts that here because they do not want to hear about Jesus' death. They've already thrown it back in his face a couple of times, right? 
Now, you remember back in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Peter rebukes Jesus for saying that he's going to die. They do not want to hear this. They don't want to talk about it. This is not, this just blows their mind. They can't get, it, can't get through this, that he's going to die. They view him as the conquering king, right? He's not going to be the suffering savior, but that's who he is. They need to get in line behind him. That's why Mark records for us here. He was, he was out in front leading them. They have to get in line behind him. Here's the last part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, Mark chapter 10, verse 35. James and John come to Jesus, and they've got a request for him. And they open it up in, in a way like a kid would. I want, to get, I want you to give me whatever I ask for. I want you to write me a blank check. <laughs> and Jesus says, okay, what do you want? And their request is something that goes right along with his death. Remember, they think he's a conquering king. And so when he comes into his kingdom, he's going to need these governors, so to speak, these high-ranking officials that kind of are over his government, generals, or however you want to think about them. And James and John said, we want to be the top two. Everybody's going to have to report to somebody. We want to be right underneath you. We want to be the top two guys. And Jesus goes through this section here where he says, well, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? They say, absolutely. What were they thinking of? Well, they were thinking of the baptism, the cup of reigning, right, of ruling. And they really spoke better than they knew because one day very soon, James is going to die for Jesus. After his resurrection, James is going to be the first one to be martyred for Jesus' cause. But right now, that's not where their minds are. Their minds are on their own agenda, on leading. They want to be in charge. They want the power. They want the authority. And Jesus says, oh, it's not the way it works. If you want to follow, you've got to follow. You can't be in charge. And so, look here in this last little section, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 41. And when the ten heard it, when the ten heard the conversation that's going on between Jesus and James and John... They became to be indignant and at James and John. They're mad. Why are they mad? Well, because that's their spot. Can you imagine Peter? I mean, he's got to be stomping his foot. <laughs> they stole his spot. They got to him first. Uh, but all ten, of the, all ten are indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's exactly what James and John are wanting, right? They want to be the head honcho. They want to be in charge. He said, that's the way Gentiles do it. The unbelievers, that's what they do. Verse 43, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. This word slave, you need to underline that word. Do a study of that word. This word is doulos in Greek. It is a forever voluntary slave. When we hear slave in American um, history, we, our, our minds go back to American history and chattel slavery and all that stuff. And that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about a person in Jewish society in the Old Testament. If you owed someone a debt, you could become their slave for a certain period of time until you repaid that debt. Or until the year of Jubilee came around. The year of Jubilee was every seven years. And at that point, all debts are forgiven. So that's what happens. If you repay your debt or the year of Jubilee comes in, you're free. But sometimes the slave serves such a kind master 
that he looked at his master and said, you treat me better than I treat me, and so I want to be your forever slave. It was a voluntary thing. You couldn't make somebody do this. But if they volunteered it, they could become your forever slave. That's what he's saying. The relationship between you and I, between us and the church and the world needs to be a voluntary, forever slave. Because slaves don't make their own decisions, do they? What do they do? They go where the master sends. They do his will. They follow his agenda. James and John are all worried about their agenda, their power, their authority. What's Jesus saying? No, no, no. This is my kingdom. You get in line behind me. You submit to me. You become a forever slave to me. And you follow my agenda. Without question and without reservation. It's interesting. This is the exact same word that he uses for us and our relationship with him. Because we looked at him, we looked at God and said, you treat me better than I treat me. I make a whole lot of foolish, silly decisions that only end up hurting me in the long run. But you act for my good every time, for my best good. And so I follow you. I give over my life to you. I put you in charge. 100%. No looking back. No stepping away. I put all my eggs in one basket. You are in charge of my life. If you need to make that decision this morning, you do that through the power of baptism. You have your sins washed away. You put Him 100% in charge of your life. And you gain a family in the church that wants to help you and take care of you and lead you closer to Him. Maybe you've already made the decision this morning and you need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be to follow instead of lead. Because taking back control of our lives is so easy. We need encouragement to be able to follow instead of leading. So if you need that encouragement this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
this morning with hymn number 336. 336. Is it for me? I'll sing the first two verses and then Brother Mike Williams will lead us in prayer. Is it for me, dear Savior, that I Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we come to the end of our service this morning, Father, we just pray that everything that's been done is said, been pleasing to you, Father, and brought you glory. And we just thank you, Father, for the blessing of being able to come here this morning to gather as a church, with our brothers and sisters, to worship and sing praises to you, Father. And we pray for those that were unable to be here this morning, pray for those that are dealing with various health issues, continue to be with Carol and bless her and pray for her healing and be with Jim Haney and be with Margaret Father, help her to feel better and other shut-ins, Lord. And, and Father, be with uh, Teresa, passing of Dean and Mary Alice, and just continue to be with her and her family. And, and Father, be with us this week as we leave here. We just pray, Lord, that we will do better at submitting to your to your will, Father, for being servants, uh, being a better servant for you, a better follower of you, Father, and no matter where we go and what we do, Lord, that we will put you first and and uh, show others um, and be a light um, with by our actions and, and by our words, Father, and just uh, be with us, give us safe travels home, and uh, forgive us when we do fall short and sin against you. It's through Jesus we do pray. Amen.
Hey, John.